Brilliant. So we're, um, we're still in James. And for those of you who've been here the past couple of weeks, I just want to warn you, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, as we carry on through James, it, uh, the, the message, the challenge doesn't get any, any easier. Uh, so I'm going to pray and then Davina's going to read it to us and then we'll, we'll launch straight into James 3. Father, thank you so much for, uh, for your word. Thank you that your word um, is a gift to us, that it reveals you more to us, that you challenge us and change us through it. And God, I want to pray for our hearts and our minds as we receive your word this morning. God, that you would make us open to to whatever you want to do. Speak, Lord, we're, we're listening this morning. Good morning, everyone. James 3 verses 13 to 18, and if you're following in the Church Bibles, it is page 1,215. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so James continues to hold no punches as he's uh, writing to his church. He still has that massive desire for them to be set apart from the rest of the world around them. And he moves here to talk about wisdom. And in the version that you just heard, he describes it as the humility of wisdom. Uh, But in the original Greek, the closer translation is the meekness of wisdom. Now, I don't know what connotations you have or thoughts you have with the word meekness, whether you consider it to be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, You might think of someone being meek as a mouse or whatever phrase it may be that you know. But in the time of Jesus uh, and in the time that James is writing, meekness was not considered to be a very good thing at all. It was certainly not considered to be a strength. If anything, meekness was seen as weakness. If you were a meek person, then you were weak. Now, Jesus completely transformed that understanding, completely transformed the meaning of the words, when in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, uh, he says, blessed are the meek. He completely turns the word on its head, and meekness then becomes a strength and a fruit of being one who follows Jesus. He has elevated the value of meekness in the world around him. And James picks up on that theme and begins to talk here about the meekness that comes from wisdom or the meekness of wisdom. And I wonder if you can think of somebody right now 
who you consider to be a wise person? Who do you consider to be a wise person? And what is it about them that makes you consider them to be wise? Is it just that they're clever and always know what to say? Is it that they always seem to have the right answer? Is it that they always need, seem to know where to go in scripture? Is it that they always seem to know how to guide and direct and to teach? Or is there more to it than that? Is there more to what about them makes you consider them to be wise? Because James is making it very clear that there is so much more to it than that. Because for James, as we see, wisdom is not merely intellectual, but is also behavioral. When somebody has heavenly wisdom, there is something markably different about the way they act, the way they behave, the way they react, the way they are. Something about them is different. And someone who has wisdom is living a gospel-driven life, a good news driven life, a life driven by Jesus, as opposed to earthly wisdom, which we read leads to chaos and even evil and destruction. Godly wisdom leads to a completely transformed life, a completely changed and transformed life. And James actually goes on to explain what that person of wisdom will look like. What is it about them that will be different? What is the fruit of seeing somebody who has wisdom? And he talks about six different things uh, in this list. And uh, I'm going to be completely honest that what I'm about to do, uh, I've slightly stolen because I just saw it the other day and thought it was the most genius thing in the world, but also uh, incredibly powerful as well. So we're going to go through uh, the list of things that, that James considers to be a mark of wisdom, but we're going to go through it in a slightly different order to how you find it in the Bible, and it will become clear as to why that is in a minute. So first of all, a person who has wisdom is gentle. Somebody who's not brash and quick to anger. Somebody who's not forceful or rude, but somebody who is gentle. Gentle in spirit, gentle in nature. That doesn't mean weak and that it can be trodden on or that people can look down on them, but gentle. I'm sure you can all think of people in your life who are gentle. Who have been gentle with you. Even perhaps at times you haven't deserved that. So firstly, a person of wisdom is gentle. Secondly, a person of wisdom is open to reason, is open to understanding that there are two sides to every story, is open to the fact that they may not have it right, <laughs> that they are open to being taught, to learn, to being instructed, to being taught, to being developed in their faith and their understanding of God. It's the person who recognizes they've not reached the destination yet, but we're all still on that journey of discovery of who Jesus is and what the gospel is about, as we said a few weeks ago. Open to reason. Thirdly, and perhaps most challengingly, a person of wisdom is sincere. Truthful. Their yes means yes, and their no means no. They are honest people of integrity. 
Already you can see after just three things, the bar is getting higher and higher and higher here. And maybe you're thinking, oh, that person I thought was wise. Maybe they're not as wise as I thought. Or maybe you're thinking, actually, yes, now I see that in them. Fourthly, a person of wisdom is someone who is peaceable. Somebody who doesn't just keep the peace, but somebody who goes out of their way to make peace, regardless of whatever the cost may be to them. They will seek peace, they will make make peace, they will create peace in even the most unpeaceable situations with that peace that passes all human understanding, which we know comes from the presence of Jesus. Fifthly, I'm playing around with words slightly here to make it work, but you'll see why in a minute. A person who has wisdom lives with a life that has equal treatment for all. Who, as we looked at two weeks ago, three weeks ago, shows no impartiality. Is not impartial. No, is impartial. No? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, is impartial. A person who is somebody who is willing to treat all people equally, regardless of their lifestyle, background, choices, whatever it may be, sees everybody as somebody in need of Jesus and his love. A person of wisdom shows equal treatment to all. Sixthly, A person of wisdom is someone who loves mercy. As we know that our God loves mercy. And you will know when you see somebody who loves mercy, who again, like the peace, goes out their way to show mercy to others, even to the least deserving around us. Now those of you who are very good at English language, We'll already see what's happened there. If you've ever seen an acrostic poem where you write the word down the side and you find a word for each one, a person of wisdom is gentle, open to reason, sincere, peaceable, shows equal treatment, and loves mercy. A person of wisdom lives the gospel, lives the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a huge difference between asking for wisdom and asking to be a person of wisdom. You see, we all want wisdom. I doubt there's anyone in this room who doesn't want wisdom. At some point in your life, there would have come a point where you say, I want wisdom for this decision. And our reason for wanting wisdom is normally because we don't want to make the wrong choice. We want to maybe be seen to be wise or seen to be right. Or maybe we, want, we, don't, we just don't want to make the wrong choice. We don't want to make the wrong choice for someone else or for ourselves or for our lives or whatever it may be. And so we might get on our knees and say, God, give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom to know the way forward. Give me wisdom to know the right thing to do. Give me wisdom to know the right way to respond. And it is good and it is right to do that. But what James is talking here is not about asking for wisdom but about being people who are wise, heavenly wise, who seek to be people who live with wisdom as part of our daily lives. And so we need to then work out, well, what's the root of that then? What is it that causes such a desire in our hearts? What is it that that would create in us or grow in us that desire for wisdom? 
or our understanding for the need of wisdom, well, it begins somewhere a little bit further back. And James says it as he writes it, because he says that wisdom is, first of all, pure. How's your desire for purity right now? Because purity is one of those things that definitely has many connotations in today's society. As you think about purity, I don't know what you think about. Anyone want to shout out what they think about when they think of the word purity? Anyone brave enough? What do you consider purity to be? Sorry, clean living. Clean living. Clean thinking. You see, we think about clean and cleansing when we think of purity, don't we? I mean, it's used in all the marketing for things that cleanse you and will purify your skin or purify your hair or whatever it may be. We think about purity as cleansing, as being made clean or being clean. But I decided to have a look in a dictionary at the definition of the word purity just to kind of see what it said. And I was quite surprised. Purity, the very first definition that comes up, is freedom from anything that debases, contaminates, or pollutes. Purity is freedom. And I thought, well, okay, that's just one definition. Let's see what else we can find. And so I looked it up in a different dictionary, and it said purity is freedom from guilt or evil. Purity is freedom. And then I thought, but we don't live our lives by the dictionary. We live our lives by the Bible. So what does the Bible say about purity? So being a good biblical scholar, I looked in a Bible dictionary, uh, a definition of purity and how often it appears in various places throughout Scripture. And in the Old Testament, it's often used as that sign of being cleansed and set apart that we talked about. That's the purity we associate. It makes sense that we talk about the purity of the cleansing at the temple and being made pure and all those things. But in the many cases where it's used, or the few cases where it's used in the New Testament, it's always connected to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Purity is always connected in the New Testament to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And when we desire that kind of purity, we know we need him. We know we cannot do this on our own. We know that as James raised the bar higher and higher and higher and higher as to what a person of wisdom looks like, we cannot reach it without heavenly wisdom from the Holy Spirit of God, who is wisdom itself. And as he gifts us with that wisdom, because he's promised that when we ask for wisdom, we will receive it, no holds barred. We will receive it when we ask for it. And I'm sure you have had those times in your life where you have asked for wisdom for a particular thing, and God has granted it. Maybe you didn't see it till afterwards in hindsight, but God has always granted it. So it is... That if you desire to be a person of purity, you will know you need his wisdom to live that kind of life. And you will ask, 
and you will receive. So there's a journey we go on. First of all, to ask the Spirit to grow in us a desire for purity and holiness. To be set apart for Jesus Christ. I love reading stories about revivals in the past. I don't know if you enjoy reading stories about where God has broken through in a particular place and entire societies and places have changed. Miracles have happened. Amazing things have have begun. And in a large majority of those cases, they can be traced back to two or three people meeting in a room, praying for purity and holiness. Increase in us, God, the desire for purity and holiness. And as that desire increases, show us our need of your heavenly wisdom. And as we receive that heavenly wisdom, may our lives be gentle, open to reason, sincere, peaceable, equal treatment of others. May we love mercy and live gospel lives for your kingdom for your glory. Create in us a clean heart. Search us, O God. See if there be any wicked way within us and would you cleanse us and purify us and increase that desire for purity in our lives. Lord, if we've been listening to voices that are not yours, if we've believed lies spoken over our lives, we we want to hear from you this morning of the kind of life you're calling us to. Of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you. And being fully devoted to following you. And to do that we need your wisdom. We need your spirit. And so we thank you but that's exactly what you give to us. Because it's your desire for us to live this life too, because this is life in all its fullness. Purity is freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from what contaminates or pollutes. I was reminded last night of a quote that says that when we come to know Jesus, we don't lose our ability to sin, but we do lose our ability to enjoy it. Jesus, create in us a pure heart. 